Today it is Father's Day 2021, and I'm going to use the opportunity to preach on a huge subject, a foundational subject, a needed subject, and at the same time it is a neglected, ignored, and abused subject. And that subject today on Father's Day is the subject of marriage today. Now you might ask the question, who needs to hear this? And some of you might be tempted to say, not me. Uh, I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm not married or I'm already married. Uh, You might be tempted to say, I'm good in this area. Uh, But who needs to hear this message? I believe it is all followers of Jesus Christ. And I'd go as far to say, I believe it is all living people. And so this morning, if you're here and you are alive, listen up this morning, this message is for you. Now you might ask why? Why does it matter? Why this message? Why today on Father's Day? You might ask the question why? Well, I want to be very certain and I want to be very clear as we begin today. Be be very sure Satan has launched an all-out attack on the human race. Do you know that? He has launched an all-out attack on the human race, and his goal is to leave us totally wrecked, totally disabled, actually dismembered. He wants to destroy us. That's what the Bible says. Satan's goal is the destruction of people. Well, friend, be sure and understand, one of his greatest weapons is to attack God's institution of marriage. And you better be sure that's what he is doing in our day. That's what he's been doing for some time. He is attacking the institution of marriage in order to wreak havoc on the creation of God, the apex of God's creation, human beings. So here's the the other question. So what is the answer? There's a whole bunch of answers being thrown out. So what is the answer? Well, today you can be sure the answer is Jesus and his truth of the word of God. Satan has launched an all-out attack on the institution of marriage, and our answer today is Jesus and his truth, the word of God. And so on Father's Day 2021, our message this morning is entitled, Why Get Married? Why Get Married? We're going to look at several things. Uh, We'll start in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. Why get married? Get married. Now, Matthew chapter 19, there is a distortion going on. There is a denial that is being taught about God's truth concerning marriage. Now, interesting enough, it's happening through the Pharisees, and Jesus comes and he sets uh, the distortion straight. He, he straightens it up in this section of verses. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Why get married, all right? Verse four says this. And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together Let no man separate. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and on this day, we're thankful. We're thankful for your plan. We're thankful for your truth. Uh, 
We're thankful for fathers today. We're thankful for marriage today. We're thankful for the home today. We're thankful for your word that leads us and guides us today. Most of all, we're thankful for our salvation, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that today in Christ we have the forgiveness of our sin. In Christ we have restoration, renewal, all things made new in Jesus. Lord, I pray as we begin to study today that you would speak, that you would lead, that you would teach, that we would be shaped today as your people. And I pray on this day, in this topic, that if there's one here that does not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would turn to you and receive you by faith in your great grace. Lord, we love you, we worship you, and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Recently, I was talking to someone, and in the conversation, we were, we were talking about a couple that, that are living as married people, and they are owning a home together, they are starting a family together, they are sharing bills together, and they are living as married people, only they are not married. Now, that is a common event. You know that. We know that. But in that discussion, we, there was an honest question, and the question is this. So why get married? That's an honest question. That's a, that's a good question. Why get married? It doesn't seem like there's much difference, does there? Is there? It doesn't seem like it's going to be much easier. In fact, it might be a hardship, and they can do all the things that they're seeking to do. In fact, they're doing them already. And so a good question is, so why get married? Did you know our culture is asking that? Our world is asking that? Why get married? Now, our world is weird in the fact of how fast things change. Not that far back, and I'm talking maybe less than a decade, a hair more than that, there was a great debate about what marriage is. And if you remember that, folks, we're talking about who can be in a marriage. Can it be two men? Can it be two women? Can it be more than that, different variables than that? Who can be in a marriage? And then the question is, who gets to decide that? And why would they get to decide that? And, and what would they base that upon? And it, it really was a battle trying to define the idea of marriage. In 1996, there was the Defense of Marriage Act. It was passed by Congress. It was signed in by our president. And it was dealing with this subject. We'll have civil unions. We'll call those something else. But we're going to define marriage in this way. That's 1996. Now, you may remember, you may have heard, a couple of years back, that legislation was declared unconstitutional. And so the Defense of Marriage Act has been set Aside. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Here's what I want you to see this morning. It was set aside. The, this great battle had hammered out a resolution, and it was declared unconstitutional, and it was set aside, and most of the world did not care. Well, some folks might have talked about it, but most of the world, even the church, did not care. You see... The world is no longer debating marriage. That's an old fight. The world's no longer debating marriage and what it should be. That's an old issue. But sadly, the reason for that is 
The world and perhaps even the church does not see the value in marriage. You see, we're not worried about who can participate. We're not participating. We're not worried about what we can define it as. We see no value in it. And so this battle that once raged not that long ago has been set aside because we see no value in marriage. You say, well, what do you mean by that? What's the proof for that? In 1980, not that long ago, I keep saying that, I'm getting older all the time, not that long ago, 18% of births in America were to unmarried people. Today, depending on whose statistics you use, some groups crazily higher, that is now approaching 50% of babies born in America today are born to unmarried people. Why? Because somebody didn't see a value in marriage. Another Barna, a Barna poll says that 65% of Americans, and, and that is climbing every single year, believe that living together as a married couple is a good idea. The number one reason for that is to test compatibility. We'll try it out. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, we have no skin off of our nose. And so over 65% of Americans say it is a good idea to live together before we are married to test our compatibility. Now I could go on and on. There's a million statistics. But the scariest is this. Listen to this. The millennial generation, our young generation all of the polls show hold the lowest value of marriage of any previous American generation. And so our young people, they see no value in marriage. And they've seen what happened to their parents and they've seen what was taught and what was actually lived out. They've seen the hypocrisy of it all. They've seen a system that moves away from it. And so our youngest folks, the ones that are approaching the age that are in the age of marriage right now, they see the lowest value of marriage of any previous American generation. They see no value in marriage. And so listen, it is a very real question why get married? Why get married? Now, I want to be honest. I could preach on this for 10 days, but I'm going to keep it down to two hours this morning. So much here. Why get married? Let me start off with the definition of a marriage. That's a good place to begin. What is a marriage? What are we even talking about when we come across this subject. Well, there's a lot of definitions. Here's the one I'm going to use. It is this. What is a marriage? A marriage is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman before a holy God. That is the definition that I'm using. A, a marriage is a covenant relationship, a covenant bond between one man and one woman before our Holy God. Now I want you to see something, and it's very deliberate. Notice here, I didn't say anything about a court. I didn't say anything about a judge, didn't say anything about a lawyer, didn't say anything about a legislation, didn't say anything about a Congress. I didn't even mention the culture because they do not matter in the definition of a marriage. Well, we got to get a caucus together. We got to see what the people think. We got to get some wise folks to speak. No, we don't. 
Our definition is determined not by us, but has been set by God. It is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman before our holy God. Now, there's so much that we can see here. Jesus in Matthew 19. It's interesting here. The, the Pharisees are, are people like us, and they have redefined or, 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 or they have distorted the idea of marriage to make it fit what they want. Isn't that what we do? We'll just readjust it. We've, we've decided to do something else. We'll readjust it. And the Pharisees, they have distorted the truth of what God says about marriage. They have twisted that to make it fit their own desires. Well, Jesus in Matthew 19, he is correcting, he is setting correct their false teaching, their false understanding. So Jesus says here, from the beginning, if you remember the verses, from the beginning, there are two genders. Did you ever think we'd have to say that? And they are made by God, and they are male and female. That's what Jesus starts from the very beginning. How far does this go back? It goes all the way back to the beginning. There are two genders made by God, male and female. Listen to me this morning. This whole gender discussion that the world is having right now, and gender is fluid, and you can be part of this or part of that, or you can decide what you identify as, this whole discussion of gender right now, listen to me, is a denial of God and a rejection of his word. Well, what is this? It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. Be very clear. It is a denial of God and a rejection of his word. Bottom line. You find somebody and they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to talk about it. They're trying to see what we should do. It is a denial of the word of God. It is a rejection of our God. Let me tell you something else. And if you think Satan's not behind it, you're crazy. He came to destroy. He came to wreak havoc. He is totally behind it. There are two genders created by God, backed up by signs, and they are male and they are female, and that's what Jesus says. He says, for that reason, a man, a man, one male, is to leave his father, a man, one male, and his mother, one female, notice they're still together, and be joined to his wife, one female. The language is not ambiguous here. The, the language is very clear here. And for that reason, a man is to leave his, mother, his father and his mother and to be joined to his wife, a female. Jesus is saying here, marriage is between a man and a woman. Here's something you hear. Folks say today, well, Jesus never spoke on homosexuality. You ever hear that? Folks say, well, the Bible says something, but, but Jesus never did. And why, did, why didn't Jesus make his stance clear? They'll, they'll take and they'll teach that, that, that Jesus didn't talk about homosexuality. Well, let me tell you this. The first thing is this. This is the word of Jesus. These, all of these, these words are the words 
of Jesus. But did he speak on it? Yes, he spoke on it. He says here, God's plan is for one man and one woman and anything else is a deviation from God's plan and is a sin. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. That's what God has said in his word. Well, he never spoke on that. Yes, he did. That's what the Bible says. Jesus goes on, verse five, and he said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, the home he came from, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The two individuals shall become one flesh. Now this, this is the covenant relationship. This is the covenant bond. The picture here is that there are two individuals and in marriage, they become one unit, one individual. That is, that is the covenant promise to become one. We've agreed, we've covenanted, we've promised together that as separate individuals, we will become one individual. Now, the best way to explain that that I've ever heard, I heard somebody say this. If there are two individuals two individuals, distinct individuals, and they become one. And that is, that is the picture of marriage. They've become one living thing. Two have become one. They've become one organism, say a dog. Two things have become one dog. Here it is. It walks and it talks. It is one dog, one living organism. Let me ask you a question. If you cut the dog in half, if you divorce the halves of the dog, which half do you want to be? Pretty good picture. We're going to cut the dog in half. You want to be the front or the back half? You want to be the left or the right half if we cut the dog in half? Both halves are dead. Do you see that? There is one organism. It is one unit. Two have become one, and if you divorce the halves, you don't go back to two halves. You have two dead halves. Folks, God's plan in marriage is permanence, and so it is a covenant promise. It is a promise that's made on this covenant based upon the swearing, the giving of our lives. Some of y'all are sitting there, and you've gone through a divorce. And you know how terrible it is. I'm not telling you anything. In fact, I can't even imagine. You're sitting there and you've been through the heartache of a divorce and it is gut-wrenching and, and you've wondered how you're going to make it. And I hear folks and they say it was a, it was a fate worse than death. It would have been easier to die for one of us. And, the, and we, we've cried together and we've walked through it and it was hard and it was tough and we walked through it. Marriage is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman and it's built on permanence and it's made before a holy God. That is the definition. All right, back to the question then. So why get married? So why get married? Now again, there's so much here. We've got an hour and a half left. We're okay. Why get married? Here's your answer. Because it's God's plan. 
Now, I'm going to explain that to you, but you want an answer because it's God's plan. Now, is it his plan for all people? No. The fact the Bible says, Paul says, there's some folks that should not get married. But the institution of marriage is God's plan. Now, let me tell you some good news. Now, listen, if you, if you think this is a bad news sermon, it's not. Let me tell you some good news because it's God's plan. Because God is good, his plan is good. Do you understand that? Because God is good. Listen, he is good. His plan of marriage is good. Because God is kind, his plan for marriage is kind. It's a good thing. It's a kind thing. Because our God is gracious, his mercies are new every day. Because he is gracious, his plan for marriage is gracious. Listen, that's good news. Because he is wise and he knows all things and he doesn't make a mistake, his plan is wise. His plan is best. That's good news. Well, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Listen, get in his plan. It is best. And so listen to me. Why would you get married? Because, listen, God will bless his plan. God will bless his plan. And that is good news. That's good news. God will bless his plan. It'll produce good fruit. God will bless his plan and it'll result in joy. God will bless his plan. Listen, I don't know that we're saying that. Maybe we're getting just like the culture that we live in. I don't know that we're showing that in our homes today. Oh, listen to me. It is good news. God blesses his plan for marriage. You want to be blessed? Follow his plan. That's in all areas. You want to be blessed? Follow his plan. I got to tell you the flip side. I do. I have to tell you the flip side. And living outside of God's plan is a recipe for disaster. Well, I don't know. It looks like everybody's doing it. Listen to me. Living outside of God's plan is a recipe for disaster, not just in this area, but in all areas. Living inside of God's plan is actually the best way to live as a human being. And living outside of God's plan, it will bring trouble, it will bring sorrow, it will bring disaster. Do you see why Satan is in this? Do you see why Satan wants us to forget God's word? Do you see why Satan wants us to leave God's plan? He exists for our destruction. And when you decide for whatever reason that you're going to get outside of God's plan, it will bring destruction. We don't believe that, I don't think. Well, I don't know. Doesn't seem too bad. My desires seem greater. Listen, get outside of God's plan. You will suffer, not just you, those around you. All right, so here's a question. So how is it his plan? I'm going to give you three ways it is his plan this morning. I could give you 15. There's a whole bunch of them. God's grace is all over this institution. Three ways that it is his plan. I'm going to move fast through these. The first one is this. It is his plan. Marriage is his plan to produce the next generation. Marriage is God's plan to produce 
the next generation. Hear me. God's plan, listen very carefully, is for a committed, God-honoring dad and a committed, God-honoring mom in a committed, Christ-seeking home to be the foundation for the next generation. That is his plan. I want to say that again. God's plan is for a committed, God-honoring dad and a committed, God-honoring mom and a committed, Christ-seeking home to be the foundation for you to raise the next generation out of. Listen, God shows his grace to us when we mess it all up. We know that. But it doesn't change the fact God's plan is for kids to be safe and to be secure and to be provided for and to be defended and to be protected in the home that he created. That is God's plan. Well, we'll try something else. You're denying God's plan. Well, I think I got a better way. You're denying God's plan. His plan is for kids to be raised in the home that he created. Do you see why Satan attacks that? Why didn't he let it go? That's why he attacks that. Do you see why Satan can't stand that? Look at the herd of our kids today. Marriage is God's plan to produce the next generation. Second plan is this. Marriage is God's plan to prepare the next generation. Not just produce, but to prepare Marriage is God's plan to prepare the next generation. Folks, go and read God's word. The primary place for kids to be taught is the home. And the primary people responsible for the teaching are the parents. And I want you to listen one step further since it is Father's Day. And the primary person in that, go look at scripture, is the dad. It is the dad. Parents, we're to be the ones to teach God's truth. Listen, we don't need to to defer that to somebody else. We as parents are the ones to explain God's truth, to teach God's truth, to instill God's truth. Listen to me, parents, we're the ones that ought to lead our kids to faith in Jesus Christ by teaching them the gospel of a kind and risen Savior. That should happen in the home. That is our privilege as parents. That is our duty as parents. And since it is Father's Day, let me just tell you this. The most, man, I can could, I could say a lot of things right here. What's wrong with these kids today? What's wrong with this younger generation today? Why have they set aside the word of God today? Why are they rebellious in nature today? Why are they they in upheaval today? Why do they hurt the way they do today? Why do they have problems with addiction the way they do today? What's wrong with the kids today? Listen to me, here I go. The most effective means of evangelism on the face of the earth is for the dad in the home to lead his kids to know and to love 
Jesus Christ. Do you see that's been stripped away? Do you see we've washed that away? Do you see we've given that to other people? Do you see that's why Satan attacks that? The most effective tool of evangelism is for the dad of the home to say, God's word is true and we live by it here and he's blessed us in it and we have a savior and his name is Jesus. What's wrong with the world today? Where's our dads today? The most effective means of evangelism on earth is the dad in the home. Maybe parents are doing their own thing today. Maybe they've abandoned their duty today. Maybe they've taken up poor priorities today. Maybe they've split up and they're not even both there today. And the kids miss the most powerful gospel influence there is, that is the Christian home. It matters, it matters, it matters. Why I get married? It's God's plan. Let me tell you the third part to God's plan. Third part to God's plan is this. Marriage produces Christ-likeness in us. Those other two are about the next generation. This one's about us. Marriage produces Christ-likeness in us. I'm going to say like nothing else can. Anywhere else you want, I'll just go do something else. You know what, I don't need this nonsense. I'm going to cut and run. I got something better going on. Marriage produces Christ-likeness in us I believe like nothing else. There's two sermons here. We're just going to do it in the next 10 minutes. Let me show you this. In marriage, if we follow Jesus and if we follow his word and we do it obediently, here's the deal. Listen to this. We will learn to forgive like Jesus. Do you know that? If you'll follow Jesus and listen to his word, if you're married... You will learn to forgive like Jesus. Some of y'all are sitting there and you know that that's what it's going to require in your marriage. You're going to have to learn to forgive. Your spouse is going to have to learn to forgive. In marriage, you're going to have to forgive a wrong suffered. That's what the Bible says. In, in marriage, you're not going to be able to keep a list of wrongs and a can of tally sheet. Well, I remember that and I'm not over that. You won't be able to keep a list of wrongs suffered. That's a lot of our problem today. We want to hold on. In our pride, we want to say, I deserve something different than this. In marriage, you will learn to forgive like Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. In marriage, we will learn to serve like Jesus. But we don't like that. In marriage, we'll learn to serve like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5 there's a command to husbands that says, love your wife. Husbands, love your wife. Did you know, and boy, we got this all mixed up. That word for love is not an emotion. Valentine's Day cards go down to nothing. It's not an emotion. It is not a feeling. It is the word agape, and it means, listen to this, to serve at the cost of self. Husbands love, oh, that means bring home some flowers. No, it doesn't. It might be nice, be good sometimes, but it's not talking about that. It is to serve at the cost of yourself. 
It says, husbands, love your wife as Christ did the church. And it says, even as he gave his life for her. We go around and we talk about love and we got this mixed up idea about love and we go to the counselor and they say, you need to start dating again and stir up some idea of love. Listen, love is serving the other person. And in marriage, if we're going to stay married, if we're going to honor Christ in our marriages, we will learn to serve like Jesus. You know, part of the problem today, we don't want to serve. We want to be served, but we don't want to serve. It's too costly. Do you know what I do already? In marriage, we will learn to serve like Jesus at the cost of self. Praise the Lord for that. There's more. In marriage, we learn to submit like Jesus. In marriage, we learn to submit like Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 5 There's a verse that says, wives, submit to your husband. That's a true verse. Do you know what the verse ahead of it says? It says we submit to each other. Mutual submission. Submission to each other. Yes, that verse says submit to your husband. It's what it says. It's what it means. But the verse ahead of it, we don't talk a lot about that. It says that we submit to each other. Marriage is mutually submitting to each other. It means it is the practice of deferring to the other. How about you? No, how about you? Well, what do you think? No, what do you think? It is the practice of seeking the concerns of others ahead of your own. It is the practice of considering others, putting them ahead of yourself. That is what marriage is. I have my will. I know what I want. I know what I like, but I'm going to defer and submit Submit to you. You want an example of that? Here comes Jesus. God himself. King of kings and Lord of lords, the savior of mankind. Resurrected, risen from the dead. Here is Jesus. Go back to the garden. Here is Jesus. And not my will be done but thine. He submits to the Father. In marriage, we learn to submit like Jesus. Let me tell you, maybe that's part of the problem today. We're taught, no, we don't submit to any person. We stand for ourselves. We're built not to submit today. In marriage, if you're going to do what Christ says, you're going to learn it's not about you, not about what you want right now, not about what you're seeking right now. You submit in the example of Jesus to the other person. We could go on and on. Do you see now how it is a good thing that in marriage we are shaped to look like Jesus? Oh, I'd like to look like Jesus. You know what? You'll learn that in your marriage. Oh, I'd like to be like Jesus, not like I was. You'll be trained in that as you honor Christ in your marriage. We are shaped to look like Jesus in the institution, God's plan of marriage. Let me tell you what happens when you say, I'm not listening. You don't look like Jesus. Not going to forgive, not like Jesus. You do that. Not going to serve, not like Jesus. We are shaped to look like our Savior, Jesus, God's plan in the institution of marriage. 
So back to the question. So why get married? Let me wrap it up, friends. Friends, we get married because it honors God. We get married because it is in obedience to his plan. We, we worship him through obedience. We get married because it's actually the best way to live. You're tired of the trouble. You're tired of the drama. Quit buying it for yourself. We get married because it's the best way to live. We get married because it leads our kids to know and to see confidently what we believe of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get married because it's the best way to lead our kids to Jesus. We get married because it shapes us to be like our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Listen to me. That's not a drudgery. That's not some duty that he's crushing on top of your head. That is a blessing. That is a kindness. And that is why we get married. Let me, let me end by saying this. Do you notice at the center of all of that is what? Jesus. You notice that? At the center of all of that is Jesus. It's his word. It's his plan. It's his teaching. It's for his honor. It's in his grace. The center of all of that is Jesus. Let me tell you something on Father's Day 2021. Father or mother, grandparent, kid here today, there is a Savior today, and his name is Jesus. There is hope for a lost and dying world. There is hope for the pain and the guilt in your heart. His name is Jesus. That's why he's the center of all this. There is salvation today. There is hope today. There is peace today. You can sing today. It is well with my soul because of Jesus. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, trust him today. If you're a dad today and you're tired of, of banging your way, trying to make your way apart from Jesus, trust him today. If you're a mother today and you're looking and you're wondering where's there ever gonna be hope and peace, trust Jesus today. A young person, listen very early on, your hope is Jesus. Jesus is the sinner. That's why we would get married. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. I'm thankful for your truth, thankful for your kindness, thankful for your grace, thankful that when we get off track, you'll forgive us. When we mess it all up, you'll restore us. Thankful that when we mess up and change, your plan doesn't. I pray, Lord, that we've been here today and we've heard your truth. And I pray, Lord, that in all areas of our life, we would have the confidence to submit to your plan, to seek to honor you in your plan, not rear up in our own. Help us in that. Lord, I pray for folks here today, and maybe they've been through a divorce and they're hurt and their hearts hurt. I pray that they'd find peace, reconciliation, and restoration of the gospel of Jesus. Pray for kids here today, and they've been hurt in the, in the mess that we've made of our homes. Pray that they would find peace and reconciliation and restoration in the person of Jesus. Pray for some here that are considering they're in a tough spot in their marriage. And the logical thing seems to do what the world says do. I pray that today they would take their hands and they'd lift them up and they'd submit to Jesus. Lord, I pray most of all and in all things 
that if there's someone here today that does not know you, I pray today in the hearing of a risen, resurrected Savior and peace through him, they would trust you today. Lord, I pray as we go into this time of invitation that you would speak. I pray knowing you've spoken, I pray that you continue to speak. Pray for there's one here that doesn't know you. I pray that in this hour, they would turn to you and they would trust you. They'd find the grace of a Savior, a kind and gracious Savior. Lord, again, I pray for those that are struggling with so so many things today. I pray that in the hearing of your news, your truth, that we would submit to you. I pray that you would work. Pray that you would move. Pray that you wouldn't be hindered in any way. We give this time to you and we trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.